Hi, I'm Mona Lewis, the sports director of WSU, and I want to personally welcome you to X's and Opinions. Sit back and listen as some of WSU sportscasters break down some of the major headlines over the past week of professional sports. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WSU Sports for more content. And rate this podcast and subscribe if you enjoy. Now, let's get started, shall we? Hello, everyone, and welcome to X's and Opinions. I am your host, Michael Daly, and I'm joined alongside my panel for today, Jimmy Bliss, Ryan Henry. We have a lot to get to in this show. We'll be talking about the Yankees' upcoming ALDS series against the Tampa Bay Rays, as well as New York Giants and New York Jets football. And also, we'll be hitting on some NBA topics as well. But let's not waste any time. Let's get into it. We're going to start with the New York Yankees and their series against the Tampa Bay Rays. And guys, honestly, that 4-5 matchup in the wild card series, I wasn't sure that the Yankees were going to get out of it because not that I thought they weren't as good or better than the Indians, but it's the fact that they started out as the fifth seed and they were on the road. I mean, look how many teams had trouble in the wild card series on the road. Uh, First one comes to mind, Cincinnati Reds. They struggled in Atlanta. So for me, I just thought, wow, this is going to be a really tough series, especially with that first game being Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber. Unfortunately, especially for the Indian fans and the Indians, that game did not live up to expectation. Shane Bieber got lit up early on, and he just couldn't hold on. Garrett Cole pitched relatively well, and then Masahiro Tanaka in game two. But honestly, the New York Yankees, they are on a roll, and they're looking scary. And the thing is, too, in the early part of September, the Yankees were struggling. Everyone was saying, boy, I don't know if they're going to get into the playoffs. The Orioles might beat them out for the eighth seed. But you know what? They got in because they finished the season strong. And that's what you want because not only does that count for your record and helps you get into the playoffs, but it helps you mentally. It helps you get into a rhythm so that when you are going to Cleveland and you are playing a difficult series against Shane Bieber and those guys, it's not that much of an issue because you have the confidence. And they showed it in spades. And honestly, for this upcoming series, guys, against the Rays, it's going to be in San Diego. But I do not think that the cards are stacked against them. I think they are capable of beating the number one seeded Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, so I completely agree with you, Michael. Not often do we see the number one seed in any conference be the underdog in a series. But I feel like this is an exception. I feel like the Yankees just have everything going for them right now. You said that the Indians have one of the best pitching rotations in the league. They have Shane Bieber, who's probably going to win the AL Cy Young. Got absolutely lit up by this Yankee roster. This Yankee roster, it's a modern-day murderer's row. You have the contact hitting with DJ LeMay, with Gleyber Torres. You have the absolute power with Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge. And then you just have, you know, Gio Urshela, who's another consistent hitter. You have Aaron Hicks and you have Brett Gardner, who are good lefties. So, like, what do you do to this Yankee lineup? I don't really know what you can do to pitch around these guys. And, you know, you see Garrett Cole on the mound, who's arguably the best pitcher in the MLB. The Yankees gave him that big contract for a reason. It's for games like this, for series like this, where they're the underdogs on paper. But in my opinion, I don't think the Rays are going to be that much of a thorn in the side for the Yankees. I think the Yankees, it's a best three out of five. So I'd be shocked if this even went five games. I think the Yankees just have way too much firepower. They have Blake Snell on the mound tomorrow, which he's been good this season. But I mean, Shane Bieber's been good this year and we saw what happened to him. So I, overall, I just think that this is the Yankees series to lose. 
and I would I don't imagine a situation where they do come out of this series and get eliminated by the Rays. I have to like disagree saying that like it's the Yankees to lose. I think it can go either way because these are two very good teams. I mean, the Rays are a very well-rounded team. They don't have the star power of the Yankees, but their starting rotation, their bullpen. I mean, you say the Yankees are getting hot. The Rays have just been consistently good throughout the entire year. I mean, I think the Yankees do have the advantage because one, I think they're just even more experienced and also the star power is in their favor. But like, I could just see this series going either way, you know, it really depends on the Yankees being that consistent team we've seen over the past like couple weeks. Like they, we've seen both their consistencies and their inconsistencies. And you also have to look. I think when they played the Rays this season, they're like two and eight, or I think that's their record. I know some of the players who are playing, like John Carlos Sant, weren't available then, but I think the you're counting off the Rays a bit. But I think it can go either way. It's going to be a great series regardless. For me, the favorite is Tampa for obvious reasons. They played the best during the season. And there's a reason why. So, Jimmy, I'm going to take Ryan's side on this. I disagree with your stance saying that it's the Yankees to lose. It's actually, for me, it's the Rays to lose because you're the number one seed. You should not give up a series to the fifth seed. Now it's happened before, obviously. But here's the thing. With the way Kevin Cash has been able to rally his troops, to me, it's remarkable. And tomorrow night's matchup between Garrett Cole and Blake Snell, that's going to be what Beaver Cole should have been last Tuesday. That's going to be a premier matchup. And honestly, I think something that's worth noting, and this is part of the reason why this is the Rays series to lose, because if you remember back in September, when Araldis Chapman threw at Mike Brousseau and there was this big brouhaha going on, stemming back from 2018 when CeCe Sabathia was a New York Yankee, you know, the, the Rays are rattled a bit, but they showed resiliency. The next night, Mike Rousseau hit a bomb off the Yankees. And, you know, the Rays show that they're the top dog in the AL East. They're not going to cower. They won't back down from the Yankees. So, for me, that's why I feel like they're in the driver's seat for this series. And, honestly, they have to take advantage of the fact that they're in San Diego because they no longer have the advantage, the given advantage of playing at the truck. And honestly, for the Yankees, it's definitely helpful because defensively, playing at Tropicana Field is a nightmare sometimes with the ball getting lost in the catwalk and, you know, that, that field just being a dinosaur compared to all of the, the new fields, especially Yankee Stadium and even Petco Park, if you want to throw that in there. Right now, you know, the, the Yankees are sitting well, but I would say that the Rays with their pitching and also they don't have any superstars like the Yankees do. But they have a lot of guys that gel together. You know, Manuel Margot comes to mind. Kevin Kiermeyer comes to mind. There, there are players like that that really fit well in Kevin Cash's system. So I honestly think the Rays will get it done. I, I would say it's going to go five. But I would be surprised, honestly, if the Rays do not take advantage of this. Yeah, so coming into the season, I think that this was the Yankees World Series it was in their ballpark. They hit on everything they needed to in the off season to, you know, get into them the right direction. They got rid of Didi Gregorius, which pained me because I was a big Didi fan. But they turned that into good pitching with Garrett Cole. They had Luke Voigt come in, and all he did was lead the MLB in home runs this season. We had the batting average leader in DJ LeMayu, who we all know DJ LeMayu is a stud. Every single game, it feels like he hits you know, a double, a single, an extra base hit with runners in scoring position. He always just drives in. He knows 
how to how to hit the ball in the clutch. So I just feel like with the Yankees current roster the way it is, especially what they did against the Indians, like the Rays, they had a pretty much a gimme series last series. They played Toronto, whose best player is a second year player and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And they just were not ready for the big time. But I feel like this year, this series, the Yankees are trending in the right direction. Now the Rays are too, but there's just so much more firepower when you think of the Yankees, all the big names, all the bright lights. They've been here before. They've been to the playoffs over the past three years. And the only time they've gotten eliminated is by literally teams that have cheated. They got eliminated by the Astros, who we all know their scandal, by the Red Sox, who did the same thing. And then last year with the Astros again. So you literally need to cheat to beat this team. Now, do we think that the Rays are going to be cheating? I don't think so. I don't think they have the integrity to, you know, go that low and to cheat. But overall, I just think that a team as talented as the Yankees, they can't lose to a team like the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, I I still have I have Yankees in five because of that star power you mentioned. The guys there like DJ LeMahieu, uh, Glaber Torres, Aaron Judge. But I mean. I think that we should still also take into account that you're kind of underselling the Rays, and I mentioned this a bit earlier, but the rotation they have with Glasnow, more in Blake Snell, I think I think just in general, like, the experience will help out the Yankees a lot. And like you said, this team, this race team really hasn't been here. I think they were in the ALDS last year, but they haven't been in this big series, like, you know, as the cha- like as like the favorite. So I would say Yankees in five, but I could see it swinging either way. This is honestly one of those series where it's a pick for me, I just don't know if the Yankees can be consistent enough, and that's why I'm a little bit weary of um, of picking them. Also, I don't like the fact that Brett Gardner is getting innings and minutes over Clint Frazier, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. But the series will start tomorrow night. Definitely a great series. Let's switch gears now to football. The New York Giants right now, they're 0-3. It's Honestly, New York football is not great right now, whether it's the Jets or the Giants. I would hate to be a fan of either team. But starting with the New York Giants, for full disclosure, we're recording this podcast about an hour before kickoff against the Los Angeles Rams. And guys, heading into that game, they are the heavy underdog. And for for all good reason. Obviously, they don't have Saquon Barkley. Sterling Shepard has been injured. Daniel Jones hasn't played well albeit not his fault entirely because he's had a terrible lineup to help him out. But the fact that they're on a three-game skid to start things off, and then they're playing a Los Angeles Rams team who feel that they should be 3-0. and They did not think that they should have lost that game against Buffalo last week, but they lost it. And honestly, you're playing at SoFi Stadium in L.A. Everything's against you. I think the Giants are in a better situation for the future than the Jets are. And we'll talk about the Jets. We'll talk about comparisons if we want. But the Giants right now, it's not looking very good because we're seeing all of their holes on offense. And even with Saquon Barkley, they weren't a very good offense. They, things weren't clicking with the Steelers. And even the Bears, they were struggling before he went down with that injury. But Daniel Jones has promise. However... If they can't get things together this season, do not be surprised if the Giants go in a separate direction because at the end of the day, Dave Gettleman's the person who picked Daniel Jones. That wasn't Joe Judge. Honestly, if the Giants struggle this year and if they lose this game 0-4, 
you might as well just pack the rest of the season up and look for a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance or even a Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I mean, I think going in this season, regardless of Barkley playing or not, this team wasn't projected to be that great of a team. I mean, Daniel Jones is so, like, developing. He is what he is. You know, the offensive line's in shambles, and their defense doesn't really have much of anything. So taking out Saquon Barkley really wasn't going to impact them. Now, the one good thing, if you're a Giants fan, is that the NFC East is horrible all around. Like, the, the Redskins – or the football team, my bad – are one and two. They're currently losing to the Ravens. The Cowboys are getting beaten up by the Browns. And so, I mean, there's a chance that the Giants can somehow sneak into the playoffs. But if you're a Giants fan, you shouldn't want that. You need to get a top pick, you know, either secure another offensive line piece, a defensive piece, or even like you said, they might even go after like a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence. But I mean, the Rams should convincingly win this game. They have the better team. I think the Giants are just take this year as another rebuilding year, build up those pieces and hopefully get a good playoff contention team within a year or two. Yeah, I completely agree with everything Ryan said. So you'll lose a top 10 player in the NFL in Saquon Barkley, who's probably the second best running back in the NFL. So he's out for the year. And even with him on the field against the Steelers, nothing worked. Like he had negative rushing yards for most of that game, being you know one of the most talented backs we've ever seen in our lives. Daniel Jones, he's looked decent this year, but obviously that's not his fault. His offensive line is terrible. He gets no time to throw. He's cleaned up a little bit on the turnovers thus far. And honestly, in that first game, I was really impressed with him against the Steelers. I watched most of that game. And up until his interception in the red zone, in the end, in the end zone itself, it was, I was just wowed by him in every single uh, facet of the game. He was just ridiculously good that week. But then it all came crashing down over the next two weeks. He's, he takes one step forward and one step back, I feel like every week that he plays like he makes throws that are really really good that you say wow he's a really good you know he has potential to be a top 15 top 10 NFL quarterback and then the next throw will throw into double coverage and it's just like what are you doing like I would be upset if my high school quarterback did that let alone an NFL starter so overall the Rams do have the better team I feel like the Rams are being slept on this year I think that they're a lot better than what people give them credit for so I think the Rams are definitely going to take this game by at least two touchdowns. I just don't see a way that the Giants offense with this amount of injuries, without Saquon, without Sterling Shepard, you know, Evan Ingram is always in and out of the lineup. So I just think that the Giants should end up losing the rest of the season. They just don't have the talent to contend with some of these teams that are on their schedule. Even if they were fully healthy, I think that this is a year that they could just write off and start from scratch. The part that scares me the most about the Giants is the fact that they got absolutely drubbed by a completely depleted San Francisco 49ers team. Honestly, I thought the 49ers were going to win last week, but not by that much. They shouldn't have. Honestly, with all due respect to Nick Mullins, there's a reason why in 2017, the San Francisco 49ers made a deal with the proverbial devil in trading for Jimmy Garoppolo and doing a deal with the New England Patriots because Nick Mullins just wasn't getting it done. And there was also a reason why they were trying to fit C.J. Beathard in in 2017 because they saw that, you know, is Nick Mullins really the guy? Probably not. But credit to him, he still remained on the roster. But the fact that you couldn't beat the 49ers with him at quarterback, and that's not even talking about 
Richard Sherman not being in on the defense for the 49ers. Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, you know, Jordan Reed went down. George Kittle went down. I mean, I mean, injuries on injuries for the 49ers. And the Giants just looked scared, plain and simple. And honestly, that can't happen. But you know what? I'll say this. If there is a coach to get the Giants out of this rut, maybe not this year, but in the future, I feel like it's Joe Judge. You know, for whatever reason, he's had a rough start, and I don't put all of it on him because a lot of it's organizational problems. They just don't have the depth to compete with with teams. But what helps them is the fact that they're playing in the NFC East. You guys hit on it a little bit. I do not expect them to win the NFC East at all. I honestly think they're going to be at the very bottom of the NFC East because they're that bad so far through three games and probably even through four games. But Joe Judge, he, he's a guy that he has this blue-collar mentality that no matter what we are going through as a team, I'm saying for Joe Judge, no matter what he is going through with his players, he's going to rally the troops and get them out of this. So, you know, this year – I think, honestly, it's unsalvageable. I do not think they can bounce back, especially if they lose today, going 0-4. But for the future, I think Joe Judge is the guy because you look at Ben McAdoo, he wasn't going to cut it. Pat Shermer just melted under pressure with the media. I mean, they clearly botched that one, hiring, uh, hiring Pat Shermer. But now, it looks like Joe Judge can definitely handle this, guys. I mean, yeah, I think Joe Judge has been – I mean, he has been horrible as a coach. And, I mean, obviously there's still time. It's only been three games, so anything can truly happen. But, yeah, they're still trying to right the wrongs of this whole David Gettleman era and the Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo. They really haven't even recovered from that that playoff game on the when they went on the boat. They're still trying to recover from that whole entire era. But, like you said, they're starting to build up some pieces. They just – they have Daniel Jones, who looks, who looks solid. I mean, he's not awful. Saquon Barkley's obviously amazing. Darius Slayton's emerging as a studded wide receiver. And I know they recently just drafted some offensive line help in Andrew Thomas. So they're still – they're trying to build up a roster. But like you said, this this season's at a loss. And I think many people expected that going into the season, at least I hope, because of just, how, like, what the Giants looked like. And also their competition – or also who they're going to be playing against because they have to play against both the NFC West and the AFC North, if I remember correctly. And they're both very competitive divisions, as we're seeing so far this year. So, I mean, I think the, the object for them is just to, you know, get, like, a top five pick, either draft – some offensive help for Daniel Jones or get some, get a playmaker on the defense and just hope within a year or two that you can build up to a build up back into a playoff contender. Yeah. Picking back off of what Ryan said, like their schedule is brutal. The AFC and NFC West, those are two of the best divisions, if not the two best divisions in football itself. And Joe Judge is doing the best with the cars that he's dealt. Like there's a reason why the giants had a top five pick last year in the draft. They were clearly not a very good team whether it be by coaching or talent, it's a combination of both of them. So, and without like the entire offseason program, Joe Judge is just trying to get through the season, seeing what he has on offense and at defense, seeing where he can improve in the draft and free agency, and just overall seeing what he has everywhere in each position. Because like Michael said, he didn't draft any of these guys. He only drafted Andrew Thomas, like that's his number one pick he can get off of some of these guys if he needs to, like a few guys on defense that aren't cutting it, a few of his playmakers that keep getting injured. He can go ahead and draft some of these guys to replace some of Gettleman's guys, some of Shermer's guys, just to fit his offense, to fit his defense, to fit his entire scheme. It's just 
I'm excited to see what the future of the Giants holds because they do have a good amount of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Like Daniel Jones, I like. Saquon Barkley is obviously good. The receiving core is pretty good. Tight end Evan Ingram, when healthy, is a top five tight end in the league. They just need to help him out on the offensive line because it feels like every two plays he's getting hurried in the backfield for holding on to the ball for about two seconds. So we'll see what happens. I think that the Giants are set up pretty good for the future. And I'm just excited to see what they do in the draft next year. I would say for the Giants, you know, don't cut the cord on Daniel Jones because there is promise with him. Now let's look at the other New York team, the New York Jets. Their quarterback, Sam Darnold, a lot of people are going, "Mm, I don't know. Because here's the thing, right? If you think about it, the Giants more or less passed up on Sam Darnold and picked Daniel Jones. Because what they did, obviously, they drafted Saquon Barkley because they thought, okay, we're not going to pick him. They ended up picking Kyle Laletta, which, you know, we can argue <laughs> argue that. That wasn't a smart pick. But nonetheless, they said, you know what? Let's forego drafting a quarterback in the first round this year, that being 2018, and let's pick one next year. And they did that with Daniel Jones. And honestly, right now, it looks like they have the better quarterback. But looking at the Jets and Sam Darnold, There's also positives there. He has shown flashes that he can be a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, look at that dazzling run he went on. But, you know, he doesn't have the protection around him. He really doesn't have the receivers to get it done. Jamison Crowder, I would argue, is his top option. And honestly, if you're trying to make the playoffs, good luck with Jamison Crowder being your best receiver. You know, for any other team, he's pretty much either a two or three option. But, Sam Darnold right now, he's struggling. And I don't put all of the blame on him, but you know what? The two positions in the NFL that get all of the scrutiny, as well as all of the love when the team's playing well, is the quarterback and the head coach. And right now, it looks like the Jets missed on both of them because Adam Gase, I mean, we are four weeks into the season. How is that man still employed? How does he still have a job? First off, I thought that the Jets screwed up by picking him in the first place. The coach they should have won at at the end of the 2018 season was Eric Bieniemy. The fact that Eric Bieniemy is still the OC of Kansas City is a crime. That man is an offensive guru. But yet you went with Adam Gase, who did diddly squat with the Miami Dolphins. Okay, he brought them to a wild card game in 2016. But after that, had nothing else on his resume. But Adam Gase is still the head coach. Sam Darnold still the quarterback. But the Jets are not looking good, and it looks like they are tanking big time, boys. Yeah, they don't even need to tank to lose games. That's how bad they are. They just do not have talent on either side of the football. If I look at the Jets roster and I go through every single one of the starters, I could think of two players, just two players that could start elsewhere in the NFL. That's Marcus May and Avery Williamson. Everyone else would be a backup on any decent to above average team, whether it be quarterback Sam Donald. I love Sam Donald. He is, I feel like he is so underappreciated in the NFL, but the Jets just broke him mentally and physically. Like if you look at him in this first year, he gave us a lot of hope. He gave us a lot of things to look forward to. We haven't had a quarterback this talented since arguably Chad Pennington. And his first season, he looked pretty good under Jeremy Bates, who was our offensive coordinator. He 
didn't really look great in his first game, although he did win. The Jets did have a very big win against the Lions on Monday Night Football. His first pass was completed, but to the other team for a pick six, which is obviously not ideal for starting your NFL start career. career. Yeah, not exactly great. I mean, Brett Favre did that to start his career, but I don't think Sam Darnold has the abilities of Brett Favre. And you see him, him in his year one situation, Jeremy Bates obviously was not a great coach, but he he improved a lot of what Sam Darnold did in college because he had a lot of erratic footwork, a lot of weird throwing motions that a lot of people loved about him going into college or coming out of college into the NFL. But his decision-making has just regressed so much under Adam Gase. He, I don't understand some of the things that he sees on the field. He just doesn't understand how to read zones or man, doesn't know how to read a defense right now. He'll make plays like the Lamar Jackson play where he just runs 46 yards for a touchdown, which you're just like, wow, how does that even happen? And then a week ago, he has two pick sixes to the Colts of all teams who are not a very good defense. I wouldn't put them in that elite category. Like they're middle of the road defense, but you still got to do better than that, Sam. So apart from Sam, he doesn't have anything around him. Like the Jets helped the offensive line in the offseason. They got three new offensive linemen through free agency. Then they also drafted Mekhi Becknett left tackle, who's looked pretty good so far. I have to say that. On draft net, I wanted them to get Jerry Judy, and I was a little bit upset that we didn't. But getting Mekhi Becknett, it was overall probably the right move for us. The wide receivers, they're just dreadful. Like, Jamison Crowder, like you said, is probably a two or three on a good team. Rashard Perryman, he is also about – he was a three last year in Tampa Bay. He's probably about a two or three as well. You have Denzel Mims, who you drafted, who hasn't even seen the field yet. He hurt his hamstring in training camp and still has been out. He's on IR right now. It's just a terrible situation. Chris Herndon, who he showed flashes of being a very, very good tight end in his career early on. It's just everything's falling apart around Sam Darnold. And I just feel bad for the kid. Overall, I just think that it's time for him to start new elsewhere. And this is not him being necessarily a bad quarterback, but if he stays with the Jets any longer, he's just going to hurt his career more and he's just going to get injured. So trading him away is probably the best outcome for both sides. Yeah, Sam Darnold this season's kind of reminding me of another uh, quarterback from his draft class and like Josh Rosen and how the team around him is just absolutely breaking him. Like, you know, the Jets right now, have no, like no offensive line, you know, they're not getting anything from Le'Veon Bell. The receiver core somehow is like decimated even as bad as it is currently. And Adam Gase is probably rivaling Hugh Jack. Hugh Jackson as, like, one of the worst head coaches I've seen in recent NFL history. Like, I don't know how he got a job after Miami, but that's beside the point. So, I mean, Sam Darn needs a new change of scenery as going to a new team. or And they also need to replace Adam Gase, like I said, because he's just an awful head coach. So, I mean, you know, Jets fans just hope you can get the number one pick, get Trevor Lawrence or Trey Lance or Justin Fields. I mean, I think they're all going to be very solid quarterbacks and just get a new head coach. Because, I mean, I think there's no hope for salvaging the season right now, currently. Yeah, right now it looks like their best bet is to draft someone else. But if I'm Trevor Lawrence and I see that the New York Jets have the number one pick, I might think about staying another year down in Clemson, South Carolina, just to avoid going there. Because the Jets are just – they're just terrible, let's be honest. And they break quarterbacks. Look – a lot of people make fun of Mark Sanchez for the butt fumble. They make fun of him for, you know, all of the other things he did in New York. But at the end of the day, 
he was a pretty solid quarterback. But the Jets just didn't have the foundation through the years, through his tenure, to really keep him afloat. And we saw that. Another thing I want to hit on is just the ugly defense at the end of that game against Denver. Yes, they had three picks against Brett Rippon. But the fact that they were headhunting Brett Rippon and targeting him. Now, I heard arguments that said, oh, well, the Denver Broncos should have blocked better. Honestly, that's Bush League. To say that, because we all know who was the orchestrator. It wasn't Adam Gase. It was Greg Williams. For me, if we're talking about why does Adam Gase have a job in the NFL, how is Greg Williams still allowed to coach defenses? That man is not a nice person. Uh, Clearly, he's put out bounties against people. Okay, and who knows? I'm not saying he's still doing that, but the fact that he's willingly targeting quarterbacks and other offensive players to me, is absolutely horrendous, should not be tolerated. And you know what? I don't blame Vic Fangio for sending his team to the locker room. It was actually smart because it avoided any more physical altercations. But Greg Williams, he really needs to check himself. And I don't know how he is still employed as well because he, he just finds a way to just running in the mud consistently year in and year out. Yeah, I just want to hit on some of the coaching points that you were talking about too. Like, Adam Gase should have never been hired in the first place. When the Jets had a head coaching vacancy in 2018 after the season, I was jumping for joy. I thought that we were going to be getting Mike McCarthy or Eric Bieniemy, two offensive minds that have shown what they can do in the NFL. Mike McCarthy winning a Super Bowl, developing Aaron Rodgers into the quarterback that he is today. Eric Bieniemy, while not being solely responsible for Patrick Mahomes' development, being involved there. He is a very good offensive mind. We saw him bust out a play in the Super Bowl that hasn't been seen in, I think, 50 or, 50, or more than 50 years with a uh, fourth down conversion in the first drive of the Super Bowl. And Adam Gase, if you look at the best head coaches in the league, it is exactly the opposite of what Adam Gase is. So you look at the discipline of the teams. The Jets have been in the bottom three of penalties over the last two years. And they've, I think they've yielded the most penalty yardage over the past two years as well. I mean, Makai Becton, if you look at his situation, like he was injured and not able to play on Thursday night, yet they threw him in anyway. Like he didn't even start because he wasn't ready to play. And so Shuma Adoga, who was our starting left tackle that game, got injured. So they threw Makai Becton out there for what reason? And he got injured more. So that literally does not make any sense to me. You call yourself an offensive guru, but you're only able to score one offensive touchdown against the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos defense, who is missing Von Miller, their best player, and a bunch of other key players on that defense, who are playing on a short week, four days after another loss. So you also can look at the defense. Greg Williams gave up 37 points to a third-string quarterback. Not only that, but he didn't have his number one target in Cortland Sutton. Not only that, they didn't have Philip Lindsay who's their change of pace back, one of the best second running backs in the league. So overall, this team is just nothing but a dumpster fire. I can't believe year in, year out, I give my heart to this team and they just break it every single year. It's just so frustrating being a fan of this team because we have to hit the reset button once again. And at the end of the day, it's time to move on from most of these players, all of these coaches, and just start fresh with Trevor Lawrence. I think you hit it perfectly right there. I don't know what else to add, but I mean, yeah, it's just, they just need a new culture change. Adam Gase clearly isn't it. He's, you know, 
I think we're kind of overstating the fact, but like he's just not a very he- good head coach. And you know, corner to Greg Williams, I think the fact that he even got a job after that audio clip released of him back when the bounty gazing saying like, oh, let's headhunt. We're just headhunting everyone. I don't know how he's so managed to be in the NFL after that, but yeah. I mean, for Jets fans out there, I'm sorry that you have to, like Jimmy, that you have to get the the, uh, reset once again. But hopefully it works out for you well this time. Yeah, the Jets are not in a good spot. Speaking of not being in a good spot, right now we're going to look at the coronavirus pandemic and how it's impacted the NFL. In particular, you know, the premier matchup or what was supposed to be the premier matchup today of the Kansas City Chiefs and the New England Patriots, that game ended up getting postponed to Monday night at 7 o'clock. And then it turns out that because that game's at 7 o'clock, the original Monday night football game between Green Bay and Atlanta is getting pushed back to 8.50, the kickoff time. So, you know, a little bit of conflicting things happening there. But nonetheless, hopefully a game takes place. But this is not good news. If you're a football fan, if you're a player – a member of an organization because it just goes to show that this virus is still here. You know, it doesn't matter what the NFL tries to do to combat it or get their season going. The virus is still around and everyone needs to be cognizant of it. With that being said, we send our best wishes to Cam Newton, Jordan Taimu, everyone else impacted by this virus. Definitely not something you want anyone to have as well as the Titans. You know, the Titans are just being, absolutely ravaged it looks like things are getting better for them right now but they they went through it this week as well but focusing on the Chiefs and the Patriots I want to know from you guys if you're on either of these two teams what do you do in terms of preparation for this game tomorrow night well I mean I mean I think what you were just I go back to your original point about like COVID, it's still here regardless of what you want to believe or not believe. But if I'm either team, uh, I think you just anticipate to play to what your your original game plan is. Like, I know, well, obviously, you know, Cam Newton is not playing, so you're going to have to adjust your defense to a more pocket passer quarterback in Brian Hoyer. But, like, you just have to just go with the original game plan. And, you know, if certain players aren't playing, you just have to adapt. I mean, I think this league, I think this year there's going to be a lot on the fly, a lot of stuff that's going to be on the fly because, you know, scheduling is going to be changed around a lot. You know, the Titans and Steelers are getting moved back. You know, the Patriots are going to be playing. So it's just going to be a lot of flip-flopping and adjusting on the fly. So just go with the original game plan. And if the players are there, you play and then just adjust accordingly. Yeah, I agree with what Ryan's saying. I mean, obviously coronavirus is still a real thing. We see coaches and everyone on the sidelines still wearing masks in the NFL. We see these coaches getting fined $100,000 week in, week out, for not wearing their masks enough. So obviously it's still an issue. The Titans situation, it's kind of mind-boggling because Minnesota's had rising coronavirus numbers over the past few weeks, and everyone's known about this. Everyone knows that when you go to a, to a place that has a lot of cases, you want to self-isolate. You want to stay out of everything. You don't want to go out and potentially risk not only yourself, but your teammates, your loved ones, everyone in the city that you're going to next from getting this outbreak. And it's just, it's just not fair to the Steelers, I feel like, who did everything right. Like all their, like, what did they do wrong? I can't think of a single thing that the Steelers have done that would put themselves in this situation. It's just everything's on the Titans. So we'll see 
what happens with that game going forward. I believe it's moved to their bye week because they have the same bye weeks. As for the Chiefs and the Patriots, I mean, the Chiefs' offensive game plan is going to be the same thing. Everything worked perfectly Monday night. I mean, they just, like, emptied out the complete and utter playbook onto the Ravens. They threw a touchdown to their left tackle for Pete's sake. Like, who does, who does that other than Andy Reid? There's not many offensive minds in the NFL that would be able to do that. For the Chiefs' defense, it's going to be different because you're, you were game planning for Cam Newton, who, let's face it, he's a linebacker playing quarterback. He's six foot five, two forty. He's like a freight train. There's no stopping him, especially with the Chiefs' run defense. Their run defense it stepped up Monday night, but overall, it's still underwhelming. So, bottom half of the league. So, with the pocket presence of Brian Hoyer, I mean, they had a pocket quarterback last year in Tom Brady, so. It shouldn't be that hard to adjust from Cam Newton to Brian Hoyer in just a few days' notice just because they've been running the same system for forever. And it looks like a few of their targets are getting better by uh, week in, week out. So overall, I just think that the Chiefs still have the edge in this one, albeit they do have the better team and they just don't need to adjust too much because they've played the Patriots in years past over the past three years with Tom Brady at the helm. So it shouldn't be too big of an issue for the Chiefs to contend with. I, I wanted to add oh, – sorry, sorry, Ryan. I think this is an indictment against Jared Stidham because the fact that he entered training camp as the prohibited number two guy, and now he's not even getting the start since Cam Newton can't go. You know, if you're Jared Stidham, you really have to reassess what's going on with your career. And to your point, Jimmy, with Brian Hoyer, if you're Josh McDaniels, he's an easy guy just to fit right in because Brian Hoyer started his career in 2009 with the Patriots. Josh McDaniels was the offensive coordinator at that point. They've worked together. I'm sure they have a close relationship. Brian Hoyer was a Colt at one point. Josh McDaniels was almost the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So for me, Ryan, you know, honestly, I think Jared Stidham, he's in a rough spot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're being Harold as like supposedly the number one quarterback coming out of training camp, it's going to sting, you know, you're just getting replaced by a journeyman veteran who really hasn't proved all of much except for being a backup. But I kind of wanted to go, Jimmy, you mentioned about the Steelers, how like this, this situation going on right now with the Titans and Steelers is very like reminiscent of like beginning of baseball with, like the, the Marlins situation, I don't know if you remember, where like they went to the club in Atlanta and essentially just delayed their series with the Phillies. I know because I'm a Phillies fan. They delayed it and, and like the Phillies players didn't do anything, but had to suffer because of the Miami Marlins uh, comp players' actions. And it just goes back to the idea that like I don't think, especially now with it being colder weather, it's kind of like flu season also involved that like I don't know how an NFL season is going to carry on in a somewhat normal state without this bubble. And it's even impossible with the scheduling because – you know, if you're like an NFC East team, I know they're playing the NFC West, so you can't like bundle them in a bubble together because they're from two different sides of the country. So it's going to be something that's going to be monitored every week. Hopefully this isn't like every week there's going to be flip-flopping of schedules and rearranging, but it's just going to be very interesting to see how the season progresses and if Roger Goodell thinks about proposing a bubble system either for the playoffs itself or, you know, even for the finishing the regular season. Yeah, I completely agree with that, Ryan. I just want to go off the – back to what you just said about the bubble. I don't think there's a way that the season ends without a bubble. I mean, the NFL, you have 53 guys on a roster, plus you have the eight practice squad guys, plus you have whatever amount of coaches you have, whether it be 30 coaches with uh, 
you know, everyone else included with the training staff, et cetera. So that's close to a hundred bodies right there. And NFL guys, they're young. They're, they, they want to live their life. They don't want to stay, you know, home and sit down on the couch, watch TV all their life. They want to go out and they want to do things. But I feel like Roger Goodell has got to take the bull by its horns and implement a bubble. We've seen it with the NHL. That worked flawlessly. There were no positive tests for months. We saw that with the NBA pretty flawlessly. Not too many cases overall. So the bubble has to be the next thing for the NFL. I mean, MLB's sort of doing that too with uh, sending the games elsewhere. And overall, the NFL, if they want to finish the season, because, yeah, like you said, it's going to be cold weather, and this is a cold weather virus. It's just going to, you know, escalate from here. So we, they got to go to, I believe, a warm weather area, whether it be Texas or Florida, somewhere that has a lot of stadiums in both college and NFL level. So this way you can have, like, actual field size, actual, like, stadium atmosphere. And they just got to do that to ensure that they can finish the season off and not write it off. This season is one for the storybooks. It, it honestly is. Now, I heard something last week saying that in terms of Eric Ebron and his family situation, this is messing up everything because he was supposed to celebrate his child's birthday, I think on week seven, which was when their bye was supposed to happen. But now on October 25th, the Titan game is going to happen. So, you know, the Steelers are getting punished for something they didn't do, you know, so to speak, a crime they didn't commit. But now they're getting thrown into this. And another thing that I want to bring up to you guys, the playoffs definitely will take, in a, will take place in a bubble. They've, they've talked about it. That's going to happen. But Dana White, the UFC president, sent an address to the NFL, and he said, look, if you guys don't have a bubble for your season, your season will not end. You will not see it until the end of December, beginning of January. It's just not possible. And honestly – I hate to say it as a football fan, but I think Dana White's right. I think now you're starting to see the negative effects of not having a bubble. Granted, having a bubble with 53 players and then 40 other staff members on each team is a lot more challenging than having a bunch of fighters, you know, in Abu Dhabi or having, you know, a, a basketball team with a lot less people in Orlando. You know, there are logistic issues which come into play. But now you're starting to see having a bubble really works. And for the NFL, you know, who knows? Last night, Saturday night, the Saints had a scare. They almost didn't play today against the Detroit Lions because their fullback tested positive. But then it turned out it was a false positive. So also there's that to play in as well that are all these positive tests true? You know, the, the, system, is, the system of testing is not perfect. And now it's rearing its ugly head. And I mean, I think also, like, I remember when the idea of like, oh, how's the NFL starting up back up? It's also the idea of like football itself as a sport, like compared to all the three other major sports in America, it's the most contact inducing, you know, you're pushing to the line of scrimmage, you know, there's a lot of tackling ball for like 60 minutes straight. So it's like, you know, the just the contact and the essence of football itself is probably going to be more dangerous than any of the three other sports in general. Also, and what you said, Michael and Jimmy, about just the sheer, sheer amount of like, amount of players and coaches and everyone involved with running an organization. So, yeah, I don't, you know, 
I don't know if it, we're going to get an end of a football season unless they implement something like a bubble. But even then, it might be too late. Yeah, going back to what you said, Ryan, it is a very contact sport. Like, obviously, you're, you have to tackle each other. The aim of the game is to tackle someone. But it's not like everyone touches everything with their bare hands. Like, pretty much every player on the field wears a glove of some sort. So it's not like everyone's touching each other with their bare hands. You have a little bit of a barrier between the gloves. But either way, you could still have, like, someone spit on another person, and that's how it creates an outbreak. It can obviously be transmitted between teams. And we'll only be able to get the answer to that question when it actually does happen. If someone tests positive late, but the NFL doesn't realize it, so they go ahead and play with this guy. And he ends up being an offensive lineman or something, and he for some reason, like, spits on someone, then it's going to be contracted by the rest of the team. So it's just overall a tough situation for Roger Goodell and the rest of the NFL to be in. So a bubble needs to be implemented. I would say starting in December would probably be the best situation for them. Let's see how the NFL operates moving forward. Now we're going to go to a bubble that has proven to work since the end of June, early July, and that's the NBA bubble. And now the NBA, you know, it's nearing the end of the bubble, obviously, in the NBA Finals. The Los Angeles Lakers, Miami Heat are playing. And, guys, honestly, I feel like this series is expected because whoever came out of the East was not expected to beat the L.A. Lakers, whether it was the Milwaukee Bucks, whether it was Boston Celtics, Toronto Raptors, the Miami Heat. Whatever team it was, it didn't matter. The Lakers – it, it was essentially their coronation period for King James. That's what was going to happen. And now you're starting to see it. What I think is hurting Miami, obviously, is the fact that Bam Adebayo, not healthy. Goran Dragic, not healthy. Jimmy Butler went down in game one for a few minutes. He was able to get back. But experience is key. Experience is why the Los Angeles Lakers are where they are in this series. They're up 2-0. Because just look at their finals experience. Rajon Rondo, two times he, in 08 he won, and then 2010 he made it to the finals with the Boston Celtics. Danny Green, several times. Obviously LeBron James, you don't have to talk about him. So there are players, J.R. Smith, another one, but there are players that have that pedigree, that championship pedigree, and it's starting to show. Jimmy Butler, I think if there is any player in the league that can lead a team from the ground up, it's him. You know, he, he's not a superstar like LeBron, but he is a superstar in my opinion. I feel like he's a perennial all-star. You know, he's a top 15, top 20 guy. He's a star. And you're starting to see it now that Miami's the right place for him. But unfortunately, he just ran into a buzzsaw in the Lakers. Yeah, so Jimmy Butler, I've been thoroughly impressed with this season because he's been known pretty much as a locker room cancer for most of his career. Like, he blew up in the Timberwolves with uh, his fights with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. They didn't really get along, the three of them. And then with the Sixers, the sky was just falling with them. They had so much talent around him, but it just didn't work out the way that they were anticipating it working out. I just feel bad for Jimmy Butler because he's in the perfect situation and just as things start to go right, everything goes wrong. He loses the big man, Bam Adebayo, who is arguably the best player on the Heat. I mean, 
I would take Jimmy Butler, but you can definitely make a definitive argument about Bam Adebayo being the most important player on the Heat. The way that he rebounds, the way that he just sees the floor, his passing, his rebounding, his uh, ability to hit shots. He's just an all-around really, really good player. With uh, Goran Dragic, he was the leading scorer last round against the Boston Celtics, which goes under the radar. So you know that when you're missing him, you're losing a lot of points that you could otherwise be getting. I think he averaged like 22, 23 points last series, which is a lot of points. And this series, I think, is as good as done without those two guys. Like last game, the Heat showed so much heart to stay in that game without, with obviously a talent mismatch. They couldn't get a single rebound. Like Anthony Davis just dominated the boards from minute one to minute 48. It was just sad to watch Kelly Olenek try to out-rebound Anthony Davis. So overall, I think this series is over, but I'm thoroughly impressed by the Heat's effort in this postseason in the bubble and in the finals thus far. Yeah, well, I agree. Like, the the Heat are basically cooked at this point. I mean, I think coming in, it was, it was an uphill battle for them to win, even if everyone was healthy. But you also have to look, this is a team that's built for now and also the future. They have young guys, like you said, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. They have young guys, but they also have the money to possibly get – a free agent. I know Victor Oladipo and Giannis are both the big guys in 2021. So maybe you can, you know, Jimmy and that this finals run, that culture can help bring them in. But, you know, and, you know, the Lakers want, I think the Lakers, the Lakers cook that. The Lakers have won the series, but essentially, you know, no one is stopping Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They are just on a mission going into the bubble. The anticipation was a championship and they have lived up to that so far. They have dominated every team they've played against. But if I'm a Heat fan, even though this series is essentially over and I think you lost, you have to be optimistic for the future because you have guys to build for the future and the assets with a great culture built already. For the Miami Heat, you know, they don't want to talk about moral victories because Eric Spolstra, he's second to none when it comes to preparing a team to win, especially in a seven-game series. But you're going up against LeBron James. I, I want to know from you guys, you know, what's the prediction? Because for me, I think Miami, because of Eric Spolstra, because of guys like Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, you know, if Bam Adebayo is healthy, players like that, I think they're going to squeak a game out. So my prediction, Lakers in five. Jimmy, what say you? I agree with you. I agree, Lakers in five. I expect the Heat to come out and take game three. I think that they just lit a fire underneath them in game two, showing that they can do it without Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo, who I believe are also expected to be missing for game three. They just need to hit their three-point shots. They have so many looks beyond the arc, and we saw this from the Lakers in game one. They hit so many three-point shots, and that's what ultimately won them game one. Game two, though, he had a lot of three-point looks, but they didn't get them to fall. So I'll, I just think that with Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, you know, Jay Crowder's emerging as a three-point shooter as well. And uh, Miles Leonard, who surprised me with his minutes actually in game two, he played a lot better than I was expecting him to play. I think that they need to play him a little bit more for game three, and I expect them to come out with one win under Eric Spolstra in game three. But ultimately, games four and five will be won by the Lakers. Yeah, I got to agree. I say Lakers in five because – like you said, I don't think Eric Spolscher is going to go down without a fight. This Miami team's not going to go down without a fight. And I think there's also going to be a game where, you know, like you said, the Lakers have been, have been red hot shooting three-point, shooting the three-ball. I mean, they're not a great three-point shooting team, so I think there's just going to be a game where um, 
I forget. I think it might have been game one against the Rockets, if I remember, where they lost. They game they lost the Rockets. They shot like twenty percent or something like that. I think that's gonna be bound to happen because they don't really have that sharpshooter kind of guy. They just been having guys who've been hitting their open looks. So I think a game like that is gonna be bound to happen either game three or four, and it's gonna be Lakers in five. All right. So as we are reaching the last eight minutes or so of this show, we're gonna stay with the NBA, but. You know, we're going to move on from the NBA Finals as, you know, it's the consensus among us that the Lakers are going to get it done, but the Heat have earned our respect. It's just the fact that they're playing against the best team in the league. Now we're going to move on to, in part, the other L.A. team, but also Doc Rivers and his future in the NBA. It turned out that on Thursday afternoon, the Philadelphia 76ers came to an agreement with Doc Rivers very quickly, I might add, in the span of three days after he was fired by the L.A. Clippers, and now they made the agreement to make him the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, starting off with the firing. I predicted it. To be honest with you, although I was a little bit surprised that he was fired, especially this soon, the fact that with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, they just couldn't get the job done, I don't think Steve Ballmer is that patient to let this process go out. Now, I don't know who the Clippers are going to hire, but you know what? I think things are going to work out for Doc Rivers. I think Philadelphia is a nice landing spot. There were other names out there that the Sixers were looking at. Mike D'Antoni was one of them, but I think they got the right guy. And they also courted Doc Rivers very quickly. They, they watched game one of the NBA finals with him. And after that, it's pretty much that both sides made their decision. They said, okay, this is who I want to be with. Doc Rivers wanted to be with the Sixers. They wanted him in return. And you know what? When it comes to Doc Rivers, he is a great players coach. He knows how to develop talent. And honestly, he demands excellence from his players. And I'm not saying Brett Brown didn't, but Doc Rivers has proven that he can lead a team deep into the playoffs. He's done it. So I think with Joel Embiid, I think with Ben Simmons and hopefully the front office can figure things out because Elton Brand has not done a good job so far of getting the pieces around those two guys. Tobias Harris so far, that looks like that was a mistake picking him over Jimmy Butler, but Doc Rivers, you know, I, I think he can lead them to the playoffs and maybe an Eastern conference semifinal series. I, I think he is a good fit, but I also do not think, you know, just because they have Doc Rivers, that means they're going to be in the NBA Finals next year because not only do they have to worry about, you know, the Toronto Raptors, Milwaukee Bucks, Miami, the Miami Heat, Boston Celtics again, they add the Brooklyn Nets on top of that. So that's another team they have to worry about that they're probably not going to be better than. But I, I like this move. I think it's a smart move. And you know what? I think Elton Brand and the Sixers, they, they saw an opening with Doc Rivers and they took it. Yeah, I well, I agree with the two points you mentioned about. Also, with him getting fired from the Clippers, you know, you also take a look with the situation they currently have. Their entire futures are dependent on, literally was dependent on this season and next season because of what they traded to get Paul George and also the way that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard can opt out for free agency. So they had to make a move quickly. And you could see in that Nugget series, he was just out coached by Mike Malone you know whenever that team faced adversity they kind of just like crumbled and let the Nuggets win and I think we saw that with the 3-1 comeback and some of his game playing especially with you know not playing 
Zubats at center, who was doing better than Harrell was, and Nikola Jokic. So I think that move was just made to, you know, they need to make this move quickly so they can ensure that they're keeping Paul George and Kawhi. So that was a good move by them. And then for the Sixers, as a Sixers fan, I'm cautiously optimistic for this uh, for this Stock Rivers hiring. I hiring. I think he is better than he is better than Brett Brown because because one he holds his players more accountable. I think he can. So you know the problems with Jimmy Butler last year were like he said there was no respect in the locker room. I don't think that'll happen with Doc Rivers. He's a proven coach, and Joel Embiid. You know him saying in shape. I think Doc Rivers is going to hold Joel Embiid more accountable for that, and also Ben Simmons shooting the ball. So I mean I think he can hold himself more accountable. But like you said, I'm also kind of cautiously optimistic because of the competition they have to go up against. You know, they have the Celtics, the Heat, the Bucks, the Raptors, and now the Brooklyn Nets, who are who are all projected to be better than the Sixers given their talent. And, you know, and we also have seen in the past that, you know, he has crumbled under pressure. We saw this this year against the Nuggets uh, a few years ago when they blew the 3-1 lead to the Rockets. So, I mean, I'm optimistic for the hiring, and I think he will pan out to be better than Brett Brown was for this team. But just they're going to have to rearrange the roster to get a better fit around Joel B and Ben Simmons. And I think Doc Rivers is going to have to prove himself not to crumble when there is pressure on him and the team. Yeah, so I just want to go back to what Michael said. So after the Clippers lost the 3-1 lead to the Nuggets, I pretty much knew that Doc's days were numbered in L.A. I thought that he was just going to be fired initially because – the LA is becoming more of a "what have you done for me lately" kind of league. Then they're not caring. They don't care about what you did five, ten years ago. With the Clippers team, they've been one of the most talented teams over the past few years under Doc Rivers. You had the big three in uh, CP3, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. What has he done with that team? Absolutely nothing. They didn't even get to a Western Conference semis series. With the team that was the perennial front runners for the. NBA championship this season with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Lou Will, the rest of the Clippers squad, they were supposed to be taking home the trophy to LA. Now it's going to be going over to LA regardless, but it was supposed to be their trophy instead. Now that you put him in Philadelphia, I think he's going to be a good fit. However, if you ask me the question, is he a championship level coach? Is he going to be bringing a championship to Philadelphia? I'd say no. They have one of the most talented rosters in the NBA right now. They have a top three big man in Joel Embiid. They have one of the best point guards in Ben Simmons. They have Tobias Harris, who was lighting it up under Doc Rivers in Los Angeles with the Clippers before he got traded to the Sixers. And obviously, just like uh, Ryan said, they chose the wrong player by giving a max to Tobias Harris instead of Jimmy Butler when Tobias Harris obviously is not a max caliber kind of player. If you look on paper, like, like you said, the Nets are a better roster. So are the Bucks. But if I look at the Heat team against the Sixers, just on paper itself, I think that the Sixers have a better roster. But if you look to the coaches, I have a hard time saying that Doc Rivers at this moment in time is a better coach than Eric Spolstra, given what they've done lately. Eric Spolstra has put pretty much the Heat team on the back through adjusting mid-game, so many times throughout this bubble, whether they go zone defense, man defense, they give the ball to Bam, let him run the offense, give the ball to Hero. Who expected Hero to be this good this early? Only Eric Spolstra could really think that he would be this good this early. So overall with Doc Rivers, I think it's going to be a good fit, but it's never going to end in a ring in my opinion. Let's see how the Philadelphia 76ers are able to bounce back from that first round loss to the Boston Celtics. You know, all the best to Doc Rivers 
and his career and his future moving forward with the Sixers. But, you know, that remains to be seen. With that being said, though, that will wrap up our show. That's all the time we have. So from my panel, Jimmy Bliss, Ryan Henry, I am Michael Daly, our producer, Jory Mickens, saying so long. Thank you for tuning into this podcast, X's and Opinions. Make sure you're tuned in next week for the next edition.